With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Texans' Cinderella story continues as they pound the dog pound in Houston. We're going to talk about that and more on this edition of the bullpen. Welcome to the bullpen. I'm James Roy. With me is Tom Chaparria, my trusty co-host. How are you doing today, Tom? I am to the moon and back, sir. I, I, there's a hype that I can't stop. Like I, I, I woke up and, and just after the game, just ready to go watch another game, ready to go watch more football. I can't say how I feel because I feel so good. It's a shame they make us wait a whole week to see another game. In the, in the age of Netflix and streaming, I'm just so used to, okay, next one, next one, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to see how this story ends, but I, I got to wait. It's, it takes some patience. I, I'm ecstatic, man. This is it, it went better than I could have ever expected. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, you may or may not know, um, I had a bet going with my direct supervisor at work um, on who was going to do better between these two teams. And so since the Texans won, I get to pick a jersey of my choosing, and he has to buy it for me. I'm thinking CJ Stroud. I'm torn between battle red or, you know, deep steel blue. We're going to find out and figure that out. Tom, what do you think? Battle red, red number seven, no question. Ship it. That's right. I, I'm going to have to tell him that. I just, I, I think that the deep steel blue being the, the home jerseys is just such a classic to me. And since it's the last year the Texans are wearing this uniform, I, that's where I would lean towards personally. But I also really like the Battle Red. I, I only had one Battle Red jersey in my time. It was an Andre Johnson jersey. Um, 
but yeah, super stoked about that. But let's talk about it. The Texans are playing in the divisional round. It's nothing new for the Texans. They've done that in the past, but something feels different about this year. And that's something I can name it right now is CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud is the quarterback and entering this stage of the playoffs with an elite quarterback playing under center feels a little different than what has happened in the Texans past. Um, what, what are you um, thinking about this round or, Ooh, sorry. Um, what, what do you think was the difference outside of CJ Stroud in this Texans matchup with the Browns? I feel like you have to look directly at that defense. The defense was phenomenal. I think the pass rush was phenomenal. Obviously, the secondary uh, night and day difference between the game, Christmas Eve, to yesterday. Derek Stingley Jr., you can't say enough about Derek Stingley Jr. The beginning of the season, a lot of people were out on this guy, thought he was a bust, thought he was not worth the number three pick. And not only did he prove all season long that he was more than worth what they dra- what they used to draft him, but then he took Amari Cooper, a guy that went for 267 yards or something like that, and held him to a goose egg. I mean, it, it was it was absolutely amazing to see this defense do what I think D'Amico Ryan set out to do from the beginning. I think this was the evolution of what he wanted his defense to look like. The pick six by Christian Harris. I mean, he talked about it in his post game. He thought they had that two weeks prior. They'd been working on that. They'd been they've been coaching Christian Harris up to have a game like this, and he was phenomenal. I mean, I could sit here and talk about C.J. Stroud. I could talk about Nico Collins. I could talk about Dalton Schultz. There's so many uh, talking points on the offense side of the ball. The offense side of the ball had a great day, but I think you have to start with this defense because this defense took a team that had been red hot, rolling, scoring points left and right, and shut them down. Yeah, and I agree that there's a lot of talking points, and we we will try our best to get to all of them today because there's so many positive things to talk about. Now, I will say um, the nickname Harris County got thrown around, and I think he really, throughout the season, has earned that nickname. That's just such a cool nickname to have, and you have to be like a really, I think, truly huge contributor to a defense to literally have your nickname be the county that your team plays in. And so I, I liked the defensive side of the ball. Looking to the offensive side of the ball, um, I it's hard for me to have any doubts that Nico Collins is the wide receiver one. And I thought it was kind of disrespectful in in the um in the intros in the game. You know, they have all the players do their lunch, you know, CJ Stroud, the Ohio State. They went through all the players and they introduced Robert Woods before Nico Collins. And I think it just shows that the national media is just not really super familiar with the Texans game because I think they thought that, you know, Robert Woods is the veteran and he's probably what, you know, I, I, I don't know. I have trouble believing that they actually thought that, but it was interesting to see that. Um, Nico Collins had a game and I think that a lot of people discounted his availability as being a factor in this. They were like, yeah, sure. CJ kind of moves the needle, but, but Nico, does he really? I think that combined, they just really made a huge difference on the offensive side of the ball. Don't you agree? Absolutely. When you look at what Nico Collins does to that 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 offense, it just makes him so much more dynamic. It opens up passing lanes for Dalton Shorts, for Brevin Jordan, for Singletary underneath, for uh, John Mechie on the other side, or Hutchinson, or Woods. All these guys are better because 
Nico Collins commands the respect that he commands. And and when they when they don't when they don't double him, when they don't play him the way they should, he burns them for deep plays. I mean, he started the game right right away with a deep shot. And that's the kind of wide receiver deep threat that you need on a team. And when when the Texans don't have Nico Collins, you see it. Their offense uh, lacks that punch. It lacks that explosiveness. And, I mean, the two games between the Browns really tell you how much, in my opinion, these players, these, these starters on the offensive side of the ball matter to the Houston Texans. When you take C.J. Stroud out of this offense, it's not the same. I mean, that's easy to say, but, I mean, it's really, really different. That Cleveland Brown team looked really good with Deshaun Watson or uh, Joe Flacco behind center. I mean, they had a great run game, great offensive weapons, and they, they looked very good. When you take C.J. Stroud away, when you take Nico Collins away, the Texans aren't able to replace those guys. And it just proved it in this game how big they were. And that's really what I'm getting at when I talk about like elite quarterback play. It's just such a huge thing. Um, also, t- take note that when uh, Noah Brown went down early in this game, having Nico Collins there created the ability for guys that we've been waiting on all season to step up to have games. Both uh, they didn't have like you know outstanding like you know one man show games, but Xavier Hutchinson had at two receptions. Uh, Mechie had two actually really key receptions. Both were first downs. Both incredible although he bobbled one of them i was a little nervous there but um i i just can't understate how important nico collins is in terms of how he stretches the field and gives other receivers the the opportunity to show up for cj so i think like i said to this point a lot of people maybe discounted what nico was and 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 accredited his progress and what he does to cj um i i would argue that nico has stepped into just as important of a role as CJ, maybe like I'd say a step down, obviously being a quarterback is and always will be the most important position on the field. But speaking to the other receivers in the room, um, including tight ends, we'll go with the tight ends had a great game. In theory, we we saw two touchdowns, a 76 yard touchdown to Brevin Jordan and a nice little, I want to say 30 or 40 yard bomb to uh, Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz had a drop early on. And aside from that touchdown, he was pretty, non-existent um i think based on his body of work though i'm still pretty high on getting him back next season at the right price um brevin jordan though was you know continues to show out what do you make of the tight ends in this game and and their contribution i think it can't be understated obviously the big play that dalton schultz had early on got the texans back in the game but the huge play by brevin jordan i don't think anybody on either side expected him to do that the, the, the be able to put his foot in the ground, make a cut, and then absolutely run away from defenders. I hope they, that both these guys are back next year. I don't know what Brevin Jordan's situation is. I want to say he's towards the end of a rookie deal, something like that. But, I mean, they're a perfect one-two combination. I think they're great together. Uh, I think both of them are willing blockers. So that makes them really attractive as far as tight ends because you have tight ends that are just pass catchers. You have tight ends that are just blockers. But when you have guys that can do a little bit of both, I mean, you really have to account for them all the time. Whereas you see it with some teams. A guy comes on the field, he's probably in for a run play. They're probably not targeting him. But Brevin Jordan keeps getting left wide open because I think they they assume he's just a pass-blocking tight end. And I hope whoever the Texans play next does the exact same thing. 
I have to agree with you, and I need to give credit where credit's due um, to Sauce Sports, who um, asked this question on one of their lives or in their Discord, and I saw it on Twitter. Um, but how comfortable do you feel with the Texans' tight, tight end room if they let if they don't re-sign Dalton Schultz, knowing what we have in Brevin Jordan and having to replace you know what Dalton Schultz does? I think it becomes a necessity in the draft. I think you got to spend some draft capital. I don't know what other tight ends would be available, but I don't know that I would want to pay somebody if I'm not going to pay Dalton Schultz. Already being in the offense, already being acclimated with C.J. Stroud. If you're going to go pay a free agent, you might as well pony up to whatever that's going to take to keep Dalton Schultz in town. Uh, I don't even know the 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 draft state of the tight ends yet. We haven't got to our draft portion because we're still uh, ingrained really in playoff top football. Heavy. I feel like I mean I from what I've noticed there's just one tight end prospect it's that Georgia tight end whose name just eludes me right now um but I mean outside of that I don't know how deep this class is cuz I'm a firm believer right I'll have these conversations about like draft needs and stuff but I'm until the Texans are eliminated from the playoffs or are not playing real meaningful football I will not put together a mock draft I will not extensively give a lot of attention to what's going on in the offseason cuz there's still meaningful things happening for the Texans in this season right now. So why am why am I looking ahead to that out outside of like, you know, obviously the conversation of, of tight end need and and the cap space and all that in the offseason is a fun conversation to have because I think that of all of the important free agents the Texans have coming up this next season, um and understanding that the Texans cap number is huge next season, but they also have a lot of very vital players leaving. Um the discussion on where they save money and where they decide to move around is a fun one to have briefly, but you're not going to hear me talking about, you know, the, the five, uh, how deep the tight end class is or how I don't only know the Georgia kid. Cause he comes up all over my feed all the time. I haven't heard anyone talk about any other tight end prospect. And the only tight end in college that I really am tracking right now is that kid that's playing at Colorado for prime. Um, Cause the first few games of the season, he looked really good when Shadur was throwing him the ball. Um, but other than that, I mean, I I think that the Texans could cut cost by at, if you look at what what it is presenting itself in free agency tight end is probably the position that they they might think they can most easily replace the production at at a lower value so that might be where they go but I I it's yet to be seen I haven't done any research into anything to do with that so I'll just leave it at that um but looking at uh, the last thing I kind of want to Last couple things I want to talk about with this Texans offense. Um, Devin Singletary had quite the game. Do you feel like it was be, it was like past the run game open, or do you feel like Singletary was a vital part of, of getting the Texans offense going? I absolutely believe it was a pass to get the run game open. I think that has been the recipe for success for these Texans since probably about week three or four when they decided, or maybe it was the Panthers game. There was a game in there somewhere where CJ basically came out in the post game and was like, look, we need to do this a different way. I feel like we're not attacking these teams the way we should. And I think that's what he was speaking to because since then, you've seen CJ get really hot early. You've seen them mix in a little run to try to stay balanced. But then late in games, you're seeing Singletary and even Pierce occasionally punish these teams because they've been spread out all day from being thrown at. So I really feel like Singletary was able to do his damage late he had some. He had a couple of decent runs uh, early in the game, but the bulk of his work was done in the in the second half. He scored his touchdown in the second half. 
So I think, I think it's perfect. I wouldn't touch it. I love it. Obviously, you know, you, you can't stay with the same script every time, but what they're doing right now really works. Yeah. And, and the Texans kind of uh, that last touchdown that Singletary got like to that point, I, I, I appreciated what the Texans did because I've seen other teams, you know, the, the rest of my family is Cowboys fans. So like I, I'm intimately familiar with their inability to play. And the phrase that's tossed, that was tossed around in my house all the time growing up was that the Cowboys are playing not to lose. And what happens is, is they let teams hang around late in games and then they, they don't close it out. They don't seal the deal and they end up getting sent home. That's not what happened against, you know, Green Bay. Green Bay came in and drubbed the, the Cowboys uh, this year, but that's how it's been in the past. And so I appreciated that the Texans, it felt like kept their foot on the gas pretty deep into the game. I was surprised at how early it was that they took out CJ Stroud because it felt like we were pretty deep in the game when it happened, but there was 10 whole minutes left in the game when CJ Stroud was taken out for Davis Mills. And that brings me to my next point, which is that Davis Mills and Damian Pierce got thrown in for the last 10 minutes. I did it. I mean, it kind of felt like we were getting like a preview of, you know, of what was, and they were like, we'll use what was to get through this game because we have what is um, and we want it to be ready for the next round of the playoffs. What, what was it like seeing Davis Mills hand the ball off to Damian Pierce at the end of the game? For me, it wasn't anything. I mean, this is basically protecting your starters and running out the end of the game. I don't do the whole, this is the pass regime or anything like that. I don't necessarily care. I don't believe that Damian Pierce is done as being the starting running back for the Houston Texans. Obviously, Devin Singletary has been phenomenal, and he wants to be back here, and I think there's a way that they could make that happen. But in the event that he gets a huge, ridiculous offer from somebody that the Texans are not trying to spend their money on, I do believe they are grooming Damian Pierce to have more of the workload. I just think that in his infancy, as you would call it, he's just not ready for it. I mean, people got to remember this is year two. There's, There's some wide receivers in year two that don't really blossom yet. I think this is a new scheme and that eventually they get Damian Pierce where he's more acclimated. Um, I feel bad for, for Davis Mills because I don't think he ever really like got the keys to an offense like this with Bobby Slowick like this. He's always playing in garbage time. I think probably the preseason next year, you'll probably see him get, get some, some serious run and maybe look really good. I don't know that he'll, that he'll be a Texan long-term just because, if he does look good, teams are going to come for him. I don't know that you can just stash him. I don't know that he wants to be stashed. He may want an opportunity to try to start somewhere. I think he's ready to leave. But I mean, as as someone who has, you know, obviously we've both endured the the worst times of the Texans. And I, you know, continued to watch through that and, and invested, you know, my time into the team then. So obviously as invested in those players, it was something to see watching the Texans trot them out at the end of the game. And to me, you know, I agree with you. It wasn't really anything, but understanding the significance of those players to what the Texans did, um, it it meant like something in that regard. Um, But looking forward to the, the, or over to the other side of the ball, the defense, um, huge day for the defense, 74 tackles, four sacks, two interceptions, just, you know, swarmed. And, and, you know, D'Amico in, in the locker room post-game kind of made a joke about it, said, how many points did the defense put up? Um, it was a huge day, and those points were super meaningful because if you don't, if you look at the way the score progressed, those are the really the the death blows to the, the Browns. 
Obviously, the the Texans put up another offensive touchdown, but it was kind of garbage time. They were running the ball. They were trying to sit on it. The the defense is what really put the game on ice, and it's interesting to see, considering, like, myself included, I sent out a tweet that was like, hey, this defense needs to figure it out early in the game because I was like, that we were going back and forth. It seemed like it was going to be a shootout for the longest, and then the defense figured it out. What do you think was the moment where they kind of keyed in and, and turned it around? I mean, there was a few key moments in the first half where I thought they righted the ship. Obviously, the Browns came down right away and scored, made it look really easy. But then they were able to get some stops. They they had a couple three and outs. They had the the, the field position in their favor a couple times. And uh, I just noticed that they were getting home with four men. They were able to get Flacco off the spot. Maybe not getting sacks, but they were affecting the passes that he was trying to make. And for me, that's when I knew I was like, okay, this defense has the potential to be aggressive and get stops and make plays. And they just, it just, it kind of just built on itself little by little by little. And the second half, they just came alive. And, and the, the defining moment for me, like I, I have to call back. So the last time that the Texans won a playoff game was in January of 2020 against the bills. And the defining moment for that game to me was when JJ Watt got that sack that turned the momentum around for the Texans. And it was a, more of a subtle thing for me. I think it's a little bit more I overt. It's a little bit more obvious for me in this game. I think it was the um, Steven Nelson interception return for a touchdown. Because to that point, even though the score was 24 to 14, I still had some feeling that the Browns might turn it around and put something together. Um, but when when Flacco threw that interception, the game went from you know twenty four to fourteen ten point game two scores pretty you know within reach to a three score game um, thirty one thirty one to fourteen is just that when you see a three in front of the number on one side of the scoreboard and a one in front of the number on the other side it's always a little more debilitating um, and it's just a, in such a mental game I know the Browns saw that happen Flacco's off his game he is now a backup quarterback who is forty years old instead of Joey. You know, I play really good playoff football in the first round, Flacco. Um, and so that threw him off of his game, and I don't think he ever recovered from that. Um, aside from the back, and we talked about it um, during our preview, how I personally thought, a lot of people thought that Stingley should shadow Cooper, which he did, um, and he did really well. I had said that I think the deeper root of the issue was the pass rush, and I agree with you that throughout the game, out there was a, a rough stretch in the first part where, it seemed like Flacco was finding his rhythm, but they squashed that around that time. And that and the pass rush is what forced that interception. Derek Barnett got into the backfield and almost sacked Flacco, and that's what forced that errant throw. So, I mean, I think that it's just proof that, like, this defense wasn't just Stingley stepping up. It wasn't just, you know, Christian Harris having a day. Uh, it, the, the whole defense came together and said, hey, look, we really want to win this game. Let's figure out how to do that together. And they worked together to make it happen. So to me, is is the interception. And I feel like that play, as it stands, really shows what the team did to to close the, to turn the game around, which was figure out how to mesh and, and work in a way that made the Browns offense just unable to function. And so speaking to Christian Harris, Christian Harris had a sack, and he also had his own interception return for a touchdown. He is the first player since JJ Watt to do that for the Texans. What? So Christian Harris at the beginning of the season, I was like, I felt like a lot of people were like, he's going to be a starter. He's going to be a star. D'Amico's going to do something with him. And I 
I wanted to believe that so bad. And then we got the early part of the season. It felt like he kind of fell short of that expectation. And what I can appreciate about Christian Harris is, is that he worked back into that role throughout the season. And he showed, hey, look, I think the defining moment for me was in the Steelers game when he, I think he tackled Pickens or something. And Pickens like tried to complain about the roughness of the tackle. And he just kind of like went like, and like, I'm like, like, he like emoted some tears at him or something like that. Um, and I, I was like, wow, I like this guy. It was, it was up there with when, uh, Ryan Stanek, uh, just cussed out the, the refs or the umps at that, uh, uh, Dodgers Astros game where they cost us the game with that ball call against him. I was like, okay, I'm on board. I'm back. I was out, but now I'm back. Christian Harris needs to be the full-time starter. And he has since carved out his role. What do you make of that? What do you, what do you make of his performance today? Do you think it's sustainable? I think over time he's built to it. I think he can do it. What What do you make of it? For me, I think it's a lot about D'Amico Ryan's. Obviously, they have a bond. Alabama guys, linebackers, that kind of thing. You know, they can really speak the same language. But I feel like yeah. so much all these players are playing up to their potential because that's what D'Amico gets out of them. That's why when we were talking about Kenyon Green a podcast ago, I'm not ready to quit on that guy either for the same reason that Christian Harris was kind of like, okay, we don't know what he's going to be. Maybe he'll be good, maybe not. And now I just feel like he's going to coach up anybody you sit in front of him and they're just going to play to their potential as opposed to, you know, the average Joe or whatever. And the the crazy thing about the, the, the Harris interception, Dan Orlovsky, who's been banging the drum for the Texans for a long time, particularly about C.J. Stroud, he came out and, and showed – that play and broke it down. And it was, it was so amazing to see that Christian Harris had like a game plan. He absolutely baited this throw. So when they show the play and I mean, obviously I couldn't see it real time because you're watching everything, right? Yeah. Ball snaps, everybody moves. Christian Harris statue. He's absolutely chilling there. Does not move. And I, I, I had to watch it like him play it twice. Cause I was like, wow, he's, he's really not going anywhere. Flacco plants his foot in the ground to go throw, and then Harris breaks. And that's and and he had read they had keyed on something. You could tell he was being, he'd been coached up, and he knew exactly where the football was going. He steps in front of that, and the rest is history. And I think when you when you talk about all these players, the Carson Houston's, the the Barnett's, the Tart probably at some point. I mean, he, he's made a couple of plays, but all these guys they're bringing in, you're seeing them play extremely well. And and other teams didn't want them. They were on the street. And it's like, well, how did, how did the Texans get their hands on them? I really feel that a lot should be attributed to D'Amico Ryans and his ability to connect with players, to get the most out of them, and to push them the, to their potential. I agree. And D'Amico got emotional. I, I could tell he was visibly emotional talking in his answer about Christian Harris's performance because he's invested in it. He cares about the players. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The the change comes from the top down. We go from like Cal and Hannah all the way down through the organization. And every step they've made has put someone in a position to affect positive change for the Texans. Um, now, speaking to those waiver moves, we, we can talk about how D'Amico used them. And that that's huge to me because last season it felt like Nick was making moves. You know, Eno Benjamin, um, to name one that I can remember off the top of my head where I was like, this is a player I saw go on waivers. I thought, dang, if only Nick would claim him. The Texans could really use that player. And then I watched Lebby Smith just absolutely 
ignore the fact that the player even like I I'm convinced Levy Smith didn't know these players were on the roster when he was making roster decisions and and picking who plays where because there's no way that players that good were claimed by the Texans and then released weeks later due to lack of use. Um, so that's huge. I think a lot of credit goes to Nick Casario. I've never been a Nick Casario hater, um, but to speak to the people that just have not exactly been huge fans of him, it's hard to believe there's anyone left in the fan base that has a problem with what Nick Casario has done. Um, every draft class that he's had now has a player that has benefited the team in some way um, this season. And so, you know, we look at the Brevin Jordans, the um, and then we go you know, through, through it all, Derek Stingley, uh, and you just go th- down the line, and I can find a player in every draft class that has made a significant contribution to this team. So I think it's about time that we give credit to Nick Casario. If you haven't already, I mean, I've been one to give him credit. And to speak to that, um, you talked about Derek Barnett. We've mentioned him briefly throughout this. What a huge pickup for this team, especially at the time I was worried that Grenard was out for the game. He ended up coming back, but Grenard goes out, and I'm literally not worried about it. Not because I don't think Grenard makes a huge impact. He was huge in this game. Um, his presence, he made it felt, and it, it would be I would be remiss to not acknowledge that Jonathan Grenard was a huge part of what the Texans did. But for him to go out for a few a significant amount of plays, and for me to be like, oh well, we got Derek Barnett. My guy Sanders wasn't exactly I don't know. I can't say he did anything bad, but when I saw him on the field, I wasn't like, oh, thank God, at least we have him on the field. But I mean, even he, another waiver claim the Texans made, um, has done a serviceable job stepping up in a position of need. So my question to you is, is what do you think was the most important waiver claim that Nick Casario made this season? I don't think, I don't think you can claim or, or I guess rank them. I guess you could, but I feel like they've all been like you spoke to were so critical at different points you know des king cut him he's out and they need they need a guy jimmy ward goes down i think they brought him in before that but i mean that was a that was a guy that that's made big plays for his team um i'm just more like i I don't understand how anybody can not like this guy at this point i understand all the negative press that came about his his uh how they acquired him you know this the the whole oh that's the patriots way and we don't want to be the patriots south and all this that patriots way is a trigger word for texans fans but it's so weird to me because when you see this guy if you just close your eyes from that if you just omit all of that you see a guy who's more involved who's who's in the tunnel he's on the sideline he's in the booth he's so involved with this team him and and D'Amico get together and they just make beautiful music. They go get all these players. They make them great. You know, I think this is going to be a relationship that's going to be nothing but awesome. They're going to draft amazing. They're going to they're going to free agent amazing. I I don't ever fear whatever Nick's going to do. In, in, in Casario, we trust that kind of deal. You know what I mean? Well, I have to tell you that I feel like looking back at Patriots history, it's been it's a known fact. There, I don't know anyone who's thought, "Wow, Bill Belichick's a really great personnel decision maker." in his time in new England, but any great decision that he's made personnel wise, I have to think that Casario had a hand in it. And I'm not even fully sure of the timeline of Casario's time in new England, but I just, based on what we've seen happen in Houston so far, I have to believe that any positive move that's happened until further notice, the, the new England front office thrived only when Nick Casario had a hand in decision-making. I don't have 
any sources to confirm that. I just, I just want to believe that that's the case. Just like I want to believe that, um, that when the Texans made the trade up to the number three pick that Casario decided, and after this game, he was proven to be correct. Um, officially it, it was, he was proven to be correct a long time ago, but he traded the Texans pick instead of the Browns pick to the Cardinals next year. Um, for the number three overall pick that was the one first round pick given up and i'm convinced that he said i think we're going to be really good this year you can have our pick and the the cardinals were like you guys are going to be really bad next year we want your pick that and, and you look at the phone call that happened they they put that uh that phone call the recording of the cardinals gm taking that phone call on nfl network and you can watch it if you want but when i watched it i got the vibe that that dude was not like he wasn't like well, no, I need, they had six minutes to make a deal. And from the looks of it, that was the, the pick that was put on the table and he accepted it or he put, no, you know what? He asked for that pick and Casario didn't say, no, well, what about the Browns pick? Casario said, oh yeah, of course. Cause Casario knew what he was doing. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think it takes time and, and the Texans organization has shown over time to be patient with people. The Kubiak patience that we got those seven years that he coached um were were great at the end for a little bit and that patience was rewarded and so i think the texans are being rewarded for what might have been pretty ill-advised move at the time keeping a, a gm that had already had two coaches in two years um on and so i appreciate that um looking at what the texans have done defensively i would be remiss if i did not mention blake cashman um that's another there's like a group of players that the texans didn't have the first time we played the Browns and I tried to tell people, I was trying to tell my chief at work. I was like, Hey man, like, you know, we have like, here's the list of people that we have back that like, we didn't have the first time. He's like, I don't care. We're going to, we're going to pound the Texans is, is you know, dog pound forever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was like, Blake Cashman is a huge get back His, as a coverage linebacker, as a linebacker in general, he recreated the Brian Cushing, uh, play that Cush had, um, that they've been using in the hype videos where he uh, blocks the Cleveland Browns lineman, and then he comes up without his helmet on and headbutts him. Um, he, as short of the helmet-removed headbutt, he, he freaking like rolled a, a Cleveland Browns defensive lineman uh, on the return of that Steven Nelson interception. And so if you didn't notice that detail when you watched it the first time, highly recommend looking it up. But what, what, what do you have to say to uh, Blake Cashman's contribution to the Texans in this game? He's been phenomenal. That that entire linebacking core has been so good. But, I mean, you can tell when each one of them has been out. Obviously, uh, Perryman got suspended. Uh, Cashman was out. Toto was out. But when these guys are whole, I just think they are so important to each other so that they have this great rotation. I mean, you see them flying all over the football field. They really are the, the head of the swarm snake, if you will. I think that they do so much for this defense. and. I, I just, I mean, yes, you could you could go on and on, but I just feel like I'm really confident in what they have. I think they're all really young, really excited for what they can do. I mean, man, I, I I'm I'm running out of words because we we talk about these guys. I feel like week in and week <laughs> out. You know what I mean? We're always yeah. talking about Harris. We're always talking about Cashman. We're always talking about Stingley. These are core pieces, and they do so much, and they're so talented. And I'm surprised Cashman was somebody that they could get their hands on. You know what I mean? 
Could could you have imagined the Texans linebacking core being this good going into the season? Because I remember people saying like Blake who, um, you know, this team is too young. They don't have any talent. Linebacker is going to be a huge need in next year's draft. Can you could you have imagined at at during the off season going? Yeah, this linebacking room is probably it's like pretty deep. Like there's a lot of depth in this linebacking room. I thought it was going to be Denzel Perryman, Christian Harris, and question mark. I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> I know they drafted Toa Toa, and I thought you know that could be a prospect, but I didn't think he played meaningful min- minutes when they went. I think they traded the Jets for Cashman. I didn't they think did. he was going to be anything. I was like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a get, I guess. You know, depth piece, something like that. But man, you watch these guys, and and, and they are key pieces of this defense. No, yeah, it's incredible. Um, now, there's one more thing I want to talk about before we kind of bring the podcast to a close. CJ Stroud has broken a lot of barriers, um, and I wanted to save this discussion for last because it's pretty important to me. Um, CJ Stroud was the first quarterback since Tom Brady in 2007 to have the highest yards per game and uh, touchdown interception ratio. Um, and then he, the only other quarterback to do it outside of them, too, is, is Joe Montana in 1987. Um, but what I want to talk to is, is if we look at, you know, uh, I only bring this up because a lot of Jaguars fans were like, wait till CJ Stroud wins a playoff game. Trevor Lawrence is, is our, our God or whatever they were telling me some messed up stuff. That's absolutely not true. Cause he's a fraud. But anyways, um, J- Trevor Lawrence, one and one in the playoffs, Dak Prescott, two and five in the playoffs, Lamar Jackson, one and three in the playoffs, CJ Stroud, one and no in the playoffs with, with, with a win next week. He puts himself in a, you know, a conversation that will need to be had if it happens, because I will be making sure that it happens. But what do you, what do you make of playoff wins as a metric to compare quarterbacks? And do you think that it matters? And I mean, yeah, that's really the deeper question. For me, it's really tough. I think that in the playoffs, you need your whole team. It's hard to put all of that on a quarterback. Uh, I mean, Dak Prescott did not win today. He got he got lit up today. But their defense couldn't stop anything. So Dak could have went for 600 yards, and he had to score every time in order to beat that team today. Uh, Tony Romo, I, the former Cowboy quarterback, he was notoriously on the wrong side of history, and his stat lines would make you think that he did everything in his power. Um the highest rated regular season quarterback in NFL history. Exactly. And and for me, when the whole team clicks, then then you then your quarterback looks like, you know, he's the figurehead. So naturally, he's going to look great. Do I think Lamar Jackson is going to be a lesser quarterback if for some reason uh he his record's 1 and 4 after next week because CJ Stroud was able to get a win? No. I'm gonna say it, it's it's their their teams were, were better, whatever. I I don't know that I want to put everything on a quarterback like that. I get I get why people do it. It's it's the sexy thing. This is the record. This says you're good, this says you're bad. But I mean, it's like saying there were no good players when Jordan won all his rings because Jordan won all the rings. I can't do that, even though their records in the playoffs were trash because Jordan won all of them. You know what I mean? Nobody won any, nobody won any NBA championships. And I know that's Tuesday for sports, but that's the way I look at it. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I feel for you on that. I mean, 
I understand people's hesitancy. There's some people that say quarterbacks are a win statistic. There's some or wins are a quarterback statistic. There's some that say they are not. Um, I think that with as vital as quarterbacks are to playing, um, I think it's reasonable to use their record in situations um, with the un- with context. And so with the understanding that like, you know, like Lamar Jackson, one in three in the playoffs, um, lost to the Titans of all teams in, in the playoffs. And so what, what do you make of that? I, you would need to look deeper into who he played, what he played, what, what his team looked like at the time to kind of give credit to that. But at the end of the day, you know, years from now, no one, no one's going to be looking at what the Ravens did in those games. They're going to be looking at the fact that Lamar Jackson has insert record here in the playoffs, and they're going to use that against him because no fan can reasonably just add context to it and find it. It's about finding the statistic that makes your team look better, or allows you to trash talk another team. That's just, you know, that is life. But I mean, I, I personally think it's a good barometer for a quarterback um, in terms of that clutch gene, because as we've seen from CJ Stroud, like I, I knew the Texans could win against the Browns because CJ Stroud was playing. That was all I needed to know. Um, and that, that confidence comes from a place of understanding that like he has used the talent around him and has made something of it. He's played in games where that talent was less than it has been. And definitely has been in games where it was less than it was against the Browns. And so I, I just have trouble, you know, believing that truly elite quarterbacks would say, oh, well, you can't use my playoff record against me because that's the playoffs is different. It's like, okay, dude, but like if you're elite, like you step up when you need to and you get your team the dub, um, it would take absolutely like, like I said, the context around it for me is if I can look at that game and go, wow, the special teams and defense just really did not give him like any help at all. That's one thing, but like, Oh well, you know it was raining that day. It's like okay, that's cool. It was it was raining when CJ lost it to the Jets. You're not seeing me like discount that loss. That Jets defense was really good. The weather was a, one of many factors that caused that loss, and I'm not going to like make an excuse for CJ there. But I'll get off my soapbox and stop rambling about quarterback playoff win percentages. And I'll ask you, Tom, do you have anything more to say before we bring this episode to a close? The one thing I want to say is that. No matter what happens, no matter what happens this coming week, whoever they play or however they play, I'm immensely proud of this team. I cannot wait for the future. Obviously, we, we can live in the moment right now. It's 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 great to be a Texan fan right now, but the future is so bright. For for people that aren't football fans, Susie, I'm talking to you. This is this is like 2015 Astros all over again. You knew this team was gonna be good. You knew the pieces were starting to fall into place. The young talent was starting to fit in all the key places. And I mean, Super Bowls are hard to win. You never know what's going to happen. But Sports Illustrated might put out, you know, your 2026 Super Bowl champion, Houston Texans, with C.J. Stroud standing under there. And they might might get that thing right. Because, I mean, there's not too many more teams that are better than this team. And no one is going to be in it in a position to, to improve this team like the Texans will. The Texans are in a supremely great position to build um, the, you know, dynasty, if you will. They just, they just need to keep chugging. Um, You know, I've said it at points on this show that it's not a rebuild. It's a reload. Now the rebuild's over. 
that being said, that mentality from Casario of where can I add talent, how can I make this team better, needs to persist while the resources are there to do that. Um, but on that note, uh, just some future program programming scheduled stuff to talk about. Um, on Tuesday, we will be having a live show with Texans County, Dylan Delgado of Texans County, the Instagram page. So show up for that. And then on Friday, we'll be talking about the matchup between the Texans and insert team here. We don't know who they're playing then. So tune in, tune in on Friday. It'll be on Spotify, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts or YouTube or wherever, wherever you watch or listen to this podcast at. But thanks for tuning into the bullpen. I have been James Roy. You can find me at M1 Texans fan on all social media platforms. And joining me today was Tom. Uh, you can find him at Third Coast Tom on Twitter. Uh, and that is that is where you can find him. So th- once again, thanks for listening. Stay classy, H-Town. And uh, till next time, vamos Texans. Thanks for tuning into The Bullpen, a Texans podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Please like, comment, subscribe, and follow along for more Texans talk from The Bullpen. Pick the hand up. Stroud.